It'll be fun, Alexander. Okay. Alex is fine. That, that works. Yeah. I'll Matt, go by Matt. Matt or Matthew or... Matt's cool. Okay. Okay. So it's good to meet you, Alex. It's finally nice to speak face-to-face. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So maybe we should do some just quick in, introductions for people, for anybody who's watching or, or just whatever. Um, so okay. I'll start. Um, so I, I sort of stumbled on the whole Jordan Peterson thing, like P- Peterson thing a couple years ago and then stumbled uh, onto Paul and have kind of, you know, then gone onto the Discord and, and just really been enjoying the, the, the intellectual journey of kind of picking, picking things up. And so I guess my, my background is I grew up in, in, in a Christian home. Um, I've always, I, I, I would always consider myself a Christian, but I mean, I, I had certain times where I kind of walked somewhat away from the faith. Um, but then kind of recently with like the whole um, sort of intellectual journey, I've kind of really, really kind of come, come back to things and um, kind of dipping my toe in like Eastern Orthodoxy and kind of reading some of the church fathers and, um, just, I mean, that, that's kind of a whole, a whole new, new world for me, um, kind of coming from like a more mm. like traditional, um, you know, evangelical type, type background. Um, so yeah. And then I, I guess just for, for my work, I, I, I work as a, as a drug and alcohol therapist. Um, wow. so yeah, yeah. So I, I just graduated from, from Pitt a couple months ago and, this, this, this is this is my first job um, in terms of like out of, out of the master's program so that's been quite interesting um, do, doing that so I, I think I think the whole like transformational and like the whole, the whole story side of Peterson has all has mm-hmm. been very um, uh, sort of salient to me um, just because I'm working with people um, in helping them through transformations as, as best I can so mm. like the, the, yeah. whole, the whole like religious side of things is of Peterson has obviously been super interested in me but also like more of kind of the pure like the the, the more the psychologist side of him has also um been very, very interesting just because I, I've picked up so so much from him um, it's it's been amazing so yeah that's that's a super brief uh intro um I don't know whatever do you want to bounce off that or Sure. Um, he is a living textbook in so many ways and writing his own. Um, the, so I'm, my name's Matt Allison. I uh, talked to Paul a few months back. I'm a, a writer and I live in Grover Beach for now, California. I'm kind of a traveler. I grew up in Pierre, South Dakota, drove down a, a little bow to Lincoln, Nebraska, which was my slice of existentialism for four years. I like to call it my secular degree and right. how to get by. And then I came down the mountains to California, uh, presumably to write screenplays for LA, but that didn't quite work out. I had a couple episodes and adventures, not on television, but I wrote with a buddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm working on a novel um, with uh, Cassidy. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, so that's that's been fun. It's um it's very interesting to write with someone. It's kind of like having a conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like putting a microscope too. You know, when you go to the eye doctor, they put that thing over your face and then they yeah. click it, click it. How's that look? It's like having that done over every thought you have. Mm. Writing a novel with someone. Right. 
Is Which that I'm clear? Sure. Uh, yeah. Is that sufficient ambiguity? Let's try another. Mm. Which I'm sure can be frustrating, but also enlightening because it's like, oh, oh. like, yes, uh, yeah, okay. Very frustrating, yeah, a frustrating enlightenment, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or an enlightening frustration. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, um, I find it very. So you mentioned Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I, I came to him indirectly through I don't know where something that the algorithm on YouTube recommended yeah. and I was struck by how earnest he was in talking about Disney movies <laughs> Pinocchio the Lion King I mean for, for me he brought those stories to life it's like wait oh this is all the all this behind this that I it's like a whole a whole world I, I, I just I, I had never seen I mean I'd, I'd heard of archetypes like in passing but I was like oh okay there's there's a lot there's a there's a lot like there's a whole this this whole substrata that I just haven't even been mining or even even really thinking of and that was that was something else. I think that's a great phrase for it substrata. Yes, that's what drew me to him as well. It wasn't the fact that it was a Disney movie, but what he was able to do with the still frames and point how he was able to point to ideas with image. Mm -hmm. And I think in the long run, that's what made me swoon for orthodoxy yes was it seems to accomplish this marriage of image or icon and uh, profession creed now it's not perfect <laughs> just as my heart isn't perfect towards it um some depending on the day of week i consider myself evangelical and other days orthodox and most of the time right in between but i think all three places are pride for me mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to figure out a way to be a novelist, but also traditional. And I don't, categories have to go out the window. So it'll be interesting to me where we take this conversation in terms of the still frames we look at, right? Silence mm -hmm. and the Joker, especially from your uh, vantage mm -hmm. point with uh, your background in psychology and uh, your focus. Right. So what, maybe, I know recently you said before we started uh, recording that you had seen the Joker. Yeah. Um, maybe you want to tie that in with uh, what you've been dreaming and thinking in terms of your own profession. And mm -hmm. we'll take it from there. Yeah. I mean, so there's, I mean, the Joker has obviously been very kind of like a, a lightning rod for a lot of, like a lot of criticism kind of, kind of both ways. Um, I, I think I think what I the, the the impression that I that I came away um, with it after, after first watching it was just like a very very deep sadness um, because it was it was really a testimony to like you know the a, a lack of logos or a, 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 just just a lack a, a lack of love because you see this this Arthur Fleck character character he every here let me just. Let me turn this light on real quick. Um, you know, every he, he's rejected by every like every so it, all 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 the societal struts have kind of been pulled out. Like you see that scene with the social worker. You know, the the, the fighting's cut, and he's on that scene with the bus, and um, that that little spark of joy from the child. Um, you see that interaction, but then it's like cut short by his mother. 
And then, you know, he finds out his relationship with, with his mother, who supposedly he thought took care of her, you know, it turns out to be a lie and just every thing after thing after thing, um, just his whole worldview is his whole, like, you know, the, um, I guess symbolically, let's just, you know, the, the, like the great mother society just completely pulled out, um, from, from, from under him. And I, I noticed in like one of the, one of the, the, I think it's when, it, when him, when him, when him and his mother are watching TV, like you see the crucifix on the wall behind them. Um, so it's like, even like just all, all like vestiges of religion, everything has been completely wiped out. And then he sort of falls into this, um, like there, 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 there's just nothing left. And that's, and that's sort of when he, and then, and then of course you have that like, sort of like the, 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 the mini resurrection scene and, and everything at the end. Um, but uh, I want to, yeah, yeah, I want to definitely talk about that because I'm not sure it was a resurrection from my from my cheap seat. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that would be, be interesting to get, to get your thoughts on. But I mean, yeah, in terms of like, because I see that I see that pattern playing out in like a lot of a lot of my clients is mm. that um, there's they they're they oftentimes tend to be very isolated, um, so they don't have any friends, they don't really have any any supports and um, I mean, I know Paul has talked about this before, like, even if you're just looking at the, the, uh, sort of the, like, like religion from a cultural, like, sort of a sociological perspective, there, there, there's huge value there in terms of getting people in communities, um, and, you know, sort of outside of, uh, like, a narrow interest, because there was that, there was that, um, like, guy who had, uh, been, um, uh, he had converted from Islam to atheism that Paul talked with recently, and he, he was talking with somebody, you know, saying like, oh man, people should just like, you know, atheists should just get together and like, you know, people should just center around communities around things they like or whatever. Um, but what, I, what I've noticed, like, even in myself or other people is like, because we're so saturated in just completely, um, or like entertainment has just so completely kind of, kind of taken over um, our world. It, it's not, it's not the kind of the, it's not, it's not the sort of the, the, the participative culture that Jonathan Pajot talks about. It's more of like just the, the, the passive, like interacting with the screen. Um, that has become so, so powerful that we don't, we, we, we don't realize how much of a pool that has, even if like in theory, you know, people know they should go out and, and do things or, you know, go to a book club or whatever it is that, that, that everything has just completely Kind of falling apart. So I saw in, in the movie. I saw like there is no, there was no sort of sort of like he had no metaphysical religious um, um, structure, even something he could kind of frame his suffering. It was just suffering as such. And then all the cultural supports and all his friends, like everything, just turned out to be to be sort of a, a complete farce. So it was, it was, it was, you know, it was like just the think of a good metaphor um you know it was like he was on stage and then suddenly you know like um i don't know um just ev everything what everything was pulled from him but I, th I think what was so tragic is that like any like any little bit of love could have prevented that it was sort of the story of like if, or, you know, I think Lucas said this, like, he saw Joker as a warning of like, 
if if we if we continue to progress down this path of sort of the tribalism um, that we see and that fracturing that we see in society today, like that is that 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 is a world without logos because there there I mean there is like love is what holds things together and and without without that from like the smallest or from the from the most minuscule level of analysis like to the highest um it's just a world that completely fell apart that was just my, my initial my, my initial thoughts on that but i've been trying to puzzle through how that relates to silence in terms of um like because you, you see in, in silence you see sort of these the, the priests coming into japan and um sort of almost in this like colonial type way like they kind of want to convert these um very primitive uh japanese people and then they're amazed at at the at the peasants faith and it's and that kind of leads me into like there's all this talk of like you know uh, propositional knowing and all kinds of verbakian like truths but ultimately like in some sense and so in this sort of kind of leads back to, you know, Kierkegaard and despair and all that is like, <laughs> ultimately, you know. What did you say? Kierkegaard? Yes, yes. Ultimately, you know, sort of at, at, the, at the core of all things is this, this despair where it's like we, we, we can't, ultimately, it is paradox and it is, but, but ultimately like the, the only, the only rescue we have is, is Christ and, but also, it's sort of playing off of like what what matters is it is it is it your your actions and and or is it what 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 you say and, and profess? Um, but I mean, I think ultimately, ultimately, for things to be true, it has to be both. Like your your life, your prayer life has has to match your like how how you live. You have to you have to bring those things into alignment. Like even if you're looking at it psychologically, like you're trying to bring your um, you know, your thoughts in alignment with, um, what does Peterson say? I think it's thoughts, thoughts in alignment with, you know, how you act. Um, so yeah, that, that's, I, I, I know, I know like that's, that's a lot to throw at you, but that's, that's yeah. kind of what came up, came up at first. <laughs> I appreciate the gestalt. Yes. <laughs> good. It's good. We have, we have a buffet now to eat from. Yeah. Um, the yeah so there's a lot there i uh it's a testament to the depth of the films mm -hmm. we could talk for hours about it uh one thing i want to touch on that you brought up that i find very salient in my own life is the relationship between as you said the propositional and the active but i would like to reframe it okay. as <clears throat> Since these are movies, let's talk about it in terms of perhaps goal and desire. Okay. Every film seems to have a goal, and the character isn't a character unless they have desire. Mm -hmm. um, what's the relationship between desire and goal? I think, I really do think, um, I'm trying not to just be a cheerleader for orthodoxy. Right. But so partly this is my enthusiasm, but I do think this is true. Uh, I define truth as 
what is true always and under all circumstances. And that's very few things. <laughs> it's not everything. Um, but desire is just a secular word or a fancy word for faith. Because I think substrate-wise, faith is what motivates us. And it's more or less synonymous with desire. Because mm -hmm. a desire is for something in the future, even if it's five minutes around the corner, a phone call away. And what, what, what perpetuates that? What gives that thing looking towards the future wings to get there? Mm -hmm. I think it's the old-fashioned notion of faith. Mm -hmm. So the old question of Hollywood, how do we get their attention? We'll give that character a desire that's not met till the end. I think is parallel with human being. What is it like to live in absolute relation with God is another way of asking, how do we give someone a faith big enough mm -hmm. to humble them enough to live in relation to the future instead of the past? Mm -hmm. Because even the Israelites, as they were going through the desert, remembering their tradition and culture and where they came from, Allah, Egypt, but before that, Abraham, we're moving forward to a promised land. Mm -hmm. So I think inevitably we have this directionality, and this is probably where Peterson comes in, towards the unknown. In time, we speak of that as the future, but what drives us there is always faith. Mm -hmm. Now, to the point of silence, yeah. faith can be deconstructed. Faith can be a hindrance. And as Kanye would say, now I'm losing my Christian scorecard. <laughs> but what, what could that possibly mean? Faith could be a hindrance. I don't know. So you said Kanye said that or that, that's, that's what you're saying? Yeah, he didn't say faith could be a hindrance. I said that. Okay. But he said, uh, I'm going to lose my Christian scorecard. And then he started cursing and using vulgarities. But mm -hmm. I guess in a sense to say faith could be a hindrance is a massive vulgarity. Mm. I mean, I, I think, I think if, I think if your faith is a hindrance, if, I mean, if, if, if your faith is, is, is in a, is in a, like a, a lesser good, I guess it, it, it could be a hindrance. Um, um, you know, cause like, mm, wow. you're right. Right. Cause ultimately, I mean, idolatry is, is, you know, seeking, seeking a lower good as a substitute for the higher, but then in that process, you lose both, you lose the highest and you lose the lowest. Um, but yeah, how that, how that relates to, to silence. Um, hmm. Or generally to living. I mean, <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Um, I don't want to go all John Calvin on us, but I'm, my heart is an idol-making factory. Right, right. It spins out widget after idolizing widget. Right. Or idolized widget. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I yo-yo from sincere faith to uh, a kind of proud of my own bootstrapping faith. Because, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. man, I can make, make molehills mountains. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm not even talking about anxiety. I'm talking about grandiosity. Mm -hmm. Believe all things, hope all things. Yes, Paul, give me more. Ladle up that encouragement. I'll <laughs> run with it. 
Right. But I think there's a way to misread. Mm. Mm. Yeah, which, yeah, I, I guess kind of leads into like, again, that, that, that performative contradiction that he talks about is like, um, you know, sort of, I guess, I, I guess that would be sort of like what you were saying with Paul, like sort of like the, how, how for Kierkegaard, like a re religion had been appropriated by, by culture. And um, like people, people just turned, I mean, God, whatever, whatever, like God in people's conception was something that they, they, they ran to in times of distress versus, um, versus, I mean, that's, yeah, versus, it's so hard to put words around this stuff. <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, versus that. It is difficult. Yeah. It is difficult. And it's like writing a book. It's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you would know. I, I, I guess maybe I... I oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not trying to say I know. Right. <laughs> I'm using the one thing that's my touchstone. Um, you want to? You have yours. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does? Because um, I guess maybe this is this is a little bit off topic from Silence and, and Joker. But how does? Because um, I've I've sort of been dipping my toe in, into more like orthodoxy as well. Although right now I, I would consider myself more of like an Anglican. Um, mm. Cause that, that, that's, that's just, that's just where I am. But how, like, cause the, the whole, the whole concept of, of icons and like praying with icons and you know, that's, that, that's, that's a, that's a whole, that's a whole new, new world for me. Um, but I, I, I think, I think, cause in the past when I thought of like an icon or an idol or something, I think my, my focus was like much, much narrower but I, I, I think in some ways, like, because um, icon is something that we see through. So, or, um, so, like, like, like a worldview or an ideology or almost anything can be some sort of an icon, and that is inherently moral because our our icons or our our, our there's a there's sort of an interpenetrating relationship between us and the world, and we're constantly being informed by how we how we look at that world, which is which is like why if you go into a conversation or you go into a meeting or something like or go into relationship like just looking to manipulate and what what can I get out of it? It's you that um, that completely destroys um, it because it, it like. But you're you're it destroys it destroys yourself because you're really just looking. Like there's a, there's a verse in the Psalms. Um, Barfield talks about this in his book, where it's I should have I should have written it down before. It's probably um, for those who look at idols, they will seem like they will be shaped onto them. So it's like the way the way that world um, in sort of like as a as a landscape of, as a as a, um, as a as a landscape of possibility for you to man, like manipulate to to your own um, liking, like whether, whether that's on a, a individual scale or like a corporate scale, because we see that like um, a lot of 
technological stuff that, that we have going on. Because there's been like I, I I guess I'm just I'm wondering how with the with the sort of the loss of the enchanted world that that we've seen since the Enlightenment or I guess maybe before then um, how how that's going to, to to play out and I guess what role icons I don't know that I'm, I, this, this is sort of like un, unformed unformed thoughts here oh it's coming through clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great, man. It's juicy stuff. The um, let me uh, let me get up there with you on the saddle or on okay. the uh, you know that covered wagon because that's all I know from the Midwest, and we'll 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 go forward into this into this westward expansion right. because indeed it does typify the West to try to stand on the pinnacle of all things. I think that's one of our that's one of our idols as a mass civilization is the uppermost point. The tip of the pyramid, the iceberg. That's what we. That's what we love. We love thinking that we've come to the brink. That works both ways. It cuts both ways. You mm-hmm. know, the peak of civilization. We're at the moon first, and also we are at the lowest point of mental health possible. Yeah. The same. It's the same. That inversion comes from the same faith in our own grandiosity. Mm-hmm. It's. It's a kind of a. A whack, like a, a wacky humanism without God, in my own opinion. Um, so where do icons fit in with that in orthodoxy generally? I have no idea, but let's talk about it. Um, the Because I want to go back to faith can be a hindrance. And I think along the way, we're going to find out different ways to tie that bow. Because ultimately, faith isn't the hindrance. It's what we run with, and it's what we run toward, because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Right. But um, there can be bad faith, as Jean-Paul Sartre said in the middle of the 20th century. And then yeah. there can be the double movement that redeems faith. And I love that phrase, the double movement of faith. I got it from Kierkegaard. Yeah. I think he gave us, I think he gave the church the algebra of the movement. And uh, let's see what you do with this. Um, so he, it's, it's basic, it's two moves, but it's very profound. The first movement of faith, which almost everybody makes, in fact, you have to make to get by. And it's a timeless move. So it happened when the cavemen discovered fire and it's happening now as we're trying to figure out how to articulate ourselves to ourselves. Mm-hmm. The movement of resignation. This is the good sacrifice of Abel, which was from almost all intents and purposes, um, indistinguishable from Cain's sacrifice at the level of appearances. Because when you resign yourself, you're in the mode of giving up. Oh, they said no. Oh, they went back at it again to that old dirty well. Well, what can you expect? You don't, you don't expect um, rye bread from wheat. So you've given up possibility in this concretization of the real in the present moment. I'm talking to the person, I have desires, I want things to come out of their mouth, they Mm -hmm. don't, I'm accepting it, I'm accepting it, I'm concretizing the moment, this is what it is, it's not Mm -hmm. anything else, I've given up possibility. And Kierkegaard's phrase for that possibility given up is the infinite. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're giving up God to come in and who is God? He's the one for whom all things 
all things are possible. Right. You're giving that up. And now to adopt that as a mode of life mm -hmm. is to live in resignation. And the worst case, to live as a reserved person. In Kierkegaard's terminology that he got from The Sickness Unto Death, a very good book. Mm -hmm. I think the Joker is a case study of the reserved individual who is trapped in infinite resignation. Mm. Now the second movement is, yeah. the mo is the double movement. And I think this is where the enchanted world can come in as a healing balm for the community. Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to have enchanted worlds individually or in small niche packages. I mean, look at the Oculus Rift. Put it on. I'm in the Resident Evil world, right? I can shoot those zombies all night. I'm in it. When I take it off, I'll get sick and vomit because of the vertigo because it hasn't you know, been formed from my nose. I used to work for Verizon, so I know these things, right. the, the, ways, the ways they break down. But not altogether. But um, that's, that's an enchanted world. And then you can go on Reddit afterwards and talk about your Oculus Rift experience with some people, avatars. They could be anywhere that will agree with you or disagree with you in interesting ways. And then you can meld it, melt it with politics and you're off to the races mm -hmm. in terms of creating your worldview based on an Oculus Rift experience that you're connecting and constellating all these things in the world that have no bearing on life. So you're living in resignation. Although it looks like you're having a hell of a time. Mm. Um, we can do that all the time. Like I, I do it with writing books. In a, in, a certain, in a certain way, I give up the possibility of a lived life when I sit down to write fiction. Mm -hmm. That's resignation. Um, it's me being reserved. Now, it doesn't have to be that, but sometimes it is. And mm. I think that's sin. Mm. And we can do that with faith. I believe in God. Like the movie Silence, I believe so much that when these people are tortured and burned in front of me, mm -hmm. I will hold on and not be an apostate because I have faith. Mm. Here's the movement he made. He saw, so he was, he was in that cage and he was looking out at the Chinese and they were, they were having hot boiling water poured over their eyes. And before they turned the cup to the eyes, the man said to the guy behind the Garfield guy, the actor behind the bars, if you just recant the gospel and step on Jesus's face, the icon, if you make that symbolic gesture, mm -hmm. they'll, we'll untie them and they'll walk free. Mm -hmm. But because he hadn't went beyond the movement of resignation, the first movement, all he could say was, I can't leave my God. But internally, psychologically, I claim this is the movement he made. And this is the enchanted world. I think this is what, this is the faith that motivates us to move towards the future. It's it's what gives life its zest. Mm. Nobody could see it, and not even him himself. I think it was at the level of subconscious. But here's the movement he made as he was looking at those people tied up, about to make his ethical or moral decision. So it ties right. in with ethics. Right. Yeah. All right, God. He was having a conversation with his God, his moral arbiter of that moment. And we all do this in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. This is what gives us, you know, a soul. All right, God. What I see is they're tied up against the pole, and I'm told that they will have hot water poured over their eyes, very hot water. That's the finite facts presented to me. Mm -hmm. What will you do? He's opening the door to the infinite. Mm -hmm. This is where he can make faith. 
active. And what is his answer? Silence. Theme of the movie. Why is it silence? Because he hadn't made the second movement. So because he was stuck in the first, what he heard was, they will have hot water poured over their eyes, but someday they shall see again. Because Jesus can spit on mud and make eyeballs. What you're see therefore, he psychologized it, his choice mm -hmm. to not give up his pride of he's a true believer, mm. he's a priest. So it's that's, his, his, yeah. that's his status. Mm -hmm. So he reverse engineered his psychology to say, they will be given sight again. There is a resurrection. What I'm seeing isn't the whole story, and therefore I do not recant. And he gets to watch through the bars, through his tears the consequences of his action, but because he hasn't made the second movement, he still believes somewhere way out there, they're going to be brought back, but not because of him. So he's given up the infinity to a future possibility known as the resurrection after the end of times. That's wicked, the movie claims. What do you, what do you make of that? I, I, I could be totally off kilter. No, it's because because the um, the crow or the the rooster crowed when he when he stepped on the image. Did you catch that at the very uh, end? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so so you're saying that he that um, just make sure I, I get this straight that he the um, that he he had me the double movement or he, he had it when when he when. He made the double move, in my opinion, he made yeah. the double movement at the end when he put his feet on the face of Jesus's icon. And my proof of that is, when does God finally speak? In the, in the act of the double movement, when he comes up to that statue, step on my face. Right. Oh, right. And now what is the double movement? The double movement in fear and trembling is Abraham's woken up one day. Hey, that son that you've worked all your life in the, in, in faith for it. And in a way it was resignation because I'm 70 years old. God, I'm not going to have a kid. You're going to have a kid. Okay. Maybe. Maybe like I'll die and then you'll resurrect me and you'll give me an angel's body and I'll be so flourishing with my wife that a, a child is necessary and natural. Okay, I can believe in that fantasy. I could sit down and write books about that. I could sit under the tree and, you know, profess all my beliefs with gospel hymns. I can be very evangelical about that. I could be very orthodox about that and pious. Mm -hmm. That's resignation though. When you go underneath all those layers of identity, it's just resignation. He's given up infinity to a very remote, distinct, non-moral future at, after the end of times. I see, yeah. Mm -hmm. But when God said, but when he finally got it, and he got the son, and then God, I, 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 I tell this story to myself as a way to understand the second movement of faith, and I, I'm trying not to be wedded to these two movements in this algebra. I really think it's a way forward. So God gives him this test. Why? I think it's to get him to the double movement. And to know that's a possibility for his soul. So he says, the son whom you love. And underneath that is a world of phraseology, right? 
Yeah. Why does he love him so much? Because he's the child of promise. Why is he the child of promise? Because this is the proof that his faith was worth something for all those years. Mm. With barren Sarah, your faith was worth something. Look at your son. Mm -hmm. Now God is saying, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. God, how dare you remind me of these things. Take him to a mountain that I will show you. I'm not even giving you the benefit of foreknowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, sacrifice him. Because I'm God. So now, so now the monotheist God gets to become a pagan God who's bloodthirsty. Really, God? Is that what all this was about? Mm-hmm. One could say. This is the beauty of Christianity. It always upends every narrative that we can think right. of. Right. And what Kierkegaard saw in that story was, as he was walking for those three days, not speaking a word to his son, not being overtly anxious, what was he doing? that none of us can see, but we could praise forever. Why do we make him an icon to look through? It's because we want to get there. Right. We want to get there. Right. Um, when we look at sports, you know, great Kobe Bryant, Duncan, why do we look at them through a screen? Because we want to get there. Mm-hmm. So Abraham was walking with his son, and internally the movement he made was, and it's, it's just as simple as this, Well, I'm going to sacrifice my son. I'm going to give up the infinity of his development and his future and my joy as a father for this finite concretization of lowering the knife. I will sacrifice my son, comma, but I might still get him back. Or I might, I will sacrifice my son, but God might change his mind. Or I, might, I will sacrifice my son, but God will not let him stay dead. That second phrase is the double movement itself. It's being willing to do the faithful act, be obedient to God, to the infinite, to the highest value, while holding on to the infinite to make everything right. Mm-hmm. If all you hold on to, everything can be all right, but you don't act in obedience to the given command. I mean, what are you? You're like an amoeba, a brownian dot floating through the water of thoughts. Right, right. But if you're just obedient, you're a law lover and you'll never get to the spirit of the letter. Right. But to combine them in tension, in the paradox of lived experience, to go on that three days journey, repeating yourself, I will sacrifice my highest value, but God will bring it back to me because God is love. If God is reconciling all things to himself, it's impossible that I lose this good thing forever. And yet I will, without quivering, without shaking, raise the knife because God has commanded it. God has asked for it. If he would have wanted to lose his son, he would have done it in bad faith but he loved his son with a passion we can't even imagine because that was the son of promise. The only son that you love. So he had to love him while he was holding the knife and bringing it down. The love had to be intense and pure in order for the paradox to work, in order for him to make the double movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, yeah, because that that, that brings two things up in terms of, so the... um, 
what's the name of the the, the, the priest in, in Silence? What's what's the main character's name? I forget. Oh, uh, by Andrew Garfield. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't remember his name. Yeah, whatever, Andrew that, Garfield's yeah. character. Yeah. Well, so Garfield that the so tracking on on your double movement, his the thing that that God was calling him to sacrifice was it was it his because it, 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 like so when the, when the movie starts you sort of see him like he's sort of on this mission almost sort of this this martyrdom mission to to kind of to kind of prove his his faith almost mm-hmm. so it, um i'm thinking maybe maybe at least in silence maybe some of that what that that double movement or what god's calling him to sacrifice is that 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 uh that self project of like I'm going to prove that my faith by by not apostatizing, even though these these people are are gonna suffer for my for my like um, insistence on proving this to myself. Maybe maybe is that is that sort of what? Oh, definitely. I mean. The Chinese had their reasons for for martyring their people. I mean, they were they were being. Remember that parable the leader gave of the five or seven concubines and the house right. owner. Yeah, I mean, they were having this influx of various cultures and power plays mm-hmm. to sweep away their bishops and knights. Mm-hmm. And one of those mighty rooks was the political ploys under the guise of Christianity that those priests were participating in when they came and said, believe or be damned to hell, right? Pagan, 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 believe, believe, believe. What's your, what's your language? How do I assimilate it into the Christian gospel? Your language is an accident. Learn the gospel. Very, very discourteous. Very discourteous, right? Because you see that with uh, Father Ferreira when, or no, I guess not, not Ferreira because that's the Garfields, but the the, the guy that the, like the priests are coming to see. He talks yeah. about how he talks about how um, you know the uh, the Japanese people don't like their 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 idea of God the Sun is the literal sun in the sky, and he's like nothing nothing grows here. You can't, and he, he essentially makes the case that you can't. Like the that the, the Japanese um, that uh, Pereira's work is going to be is going to be fruitless. Um, hmm. Oh, you mean there's there's not agreement on the Trinity? <laughs> what? It Sam's watching. What? <laughs> oh man! But we see how these play these things all play out in micro and macro. Oh, definitely. Um, what, what, what are our propositions worth? Are they worth our sin? Because in a certain sense, pride always rushes to the battlefield. Vainglory. Vainglory. Like I, there are a lot of things I want to defend, but I don't think I'm the person to defend them 99.9% of the time. Right, right. Hmm. So, you, so you said you saw you saw you saw Joker as the the he was stuck in in the first movement. 
right? He was completely. I think so because he turned himself into a, a revenge tragedy character at the end. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at him. By the way, Sam, I love you. I was, that was a joke to bring in the Trinity <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. Love you, Sam. Because he's been he's been very active on the Discord, and I've been loving yeah, I love yeah, following his yeah conversation with the others and the development of the whole Trinitarian. I like what he said before I go any further. Just recently, like yesterday, yeah. how and I think this is true. The language of Trinitarian theology has become stale. People just use the words as platitude. It's not in faith or of faith mm-hmm. for faith. So it's stale. And I think he's right to call, call people out on that. Uh, it's very helpful both ways. So it's good. Yeah. The, um, um, that's why I have some hope for democracy. Personally, I like, <laughs> yeah. there's a side of me that wants it all to become a monarchy again, but then another part of me that would miss the, would miss the stakes that are in our conversations. Because if we were in a monarchy, there wouldn't be a lot of stakes to our conversation. Mm-hmm. We could have them till we're blue in the face, but in a democracy, conversations really matter. Probably too much, but they do matter. <laughs> right. Social networking matters in a democracy, and all that politicking, ugh, and matters endlessly. Mm. But uh, anyway, yeah. so the Joker. He, he's this knight of infinite resignation throughout the movie. He's yeah. beaten by some children. His sign is taken away. But what does he do on the ground? <laughs> Starts laughing. He pushes that flower and water comes out. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that moment. Yeah. I mean, it's the movement of infinite resignation. But in a way, maybe it's the movement of faith. It's up to the viewer to decide. It's either the first or the second. So he's had this concretization thrown on the ground, beaten up, stolen, property stolen from him. And what does he do? And remember, I think, I, this is my opinion. Anytime we talk about desire, we're actually talking about faith, no matter what. Because faith is what motivates. Mm-hmm. Desire is just a synonym for it. And whenever we talk about faith, we're talking about an absolute relation to the absolute God. So in that moment, he was doing the enchanted thing, lying on the ground, property taken, he was beaten, he was kind of like that person that Jesus talks about in a parable who was uh, beaten by some robbers on the way to Jericho. Right. That's what that scene evokes, that icon evokes. Mm-hmm. And what's his conversation with God at that moment? In Hollywood terms, what's his desire? But what's his conversation with God at that moment? Mm-hmm. Though I've been beaten and the world is taking from me, mm-hmm. that's my concretization. Yet I will believe in what goodness joy happiness all of that is symbolized by the little squirting of the flower maybe or it's this is all i've got left and it's resignation it's up to the witness all of us who pass judgment to decide but i think he makes he's acting in faith at that moment it's why it's so poignant the little Right. It's poetic. And that's why, like, I don't think poetry is a pastime. I think it is critical, just as, like, STEM is critical, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, mathematics. I think there should be, like, stamp P, like, stamps or something like that, because there's got to be poetry. Because how else do people live with icons in this iconic world without the language of metaphor, um, allusion, um, internal rhyme, like, 
-hmm. all these connections that are in plain sight in a poem. Mm. Yeah, the, the, there's kind of like just a flattening of, yeah, because uh, yeah, po poetry teaches you, it, it, um, Yeah, that's that's actually very interesting because it like uh, Barfield. I because I, 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 in Saving the Appearances, I read that a while ago. He makes the point of like the 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 poets get there first, and the the, the poets the poets are like because poetry sort of allows you it it um yeah in in. I don't know. It, it's it's related to myth somehow, because uh, it, it kind of it pulls. I don't know. Yeah, I I I got to think about that. I, I've never thought about that before. Um, hmm. So you so so you would say that so he, he so Arthur Fleck is so he he's he's in this like paradox. So maybe like maybe he's making the movement of faith. Maybe he's in infinite resignation. Um, for, for most of the film. So when he, when he finally, when he finally uh, like smothers his mother and sort of like falls or maybe, or maybe rises into this sort of archetype or, you know, sort of this, this larger than life character of, of the Joker. Um, yeah, that's, what do you think about that? Cause I, I see him as in, I see I, the way I like to, I like to think almost all my thoughts after comparison. Um, so the Joker for me is rightly compared with Hamlet. Mm -hmm. And I think both can be analyzed under infinite resignation versus the double movement of faith um, because both are overtly by their creator, Shakespeare and the director of the Joker yeah. case studies of, what motivates the human in us? Mm -hmm. You know, when are we going to feel most alive? That's what the movie The Joker's about. It's going to, like when he's dancing, he shoots both men. He walks in the bathroom. The violins play. Right? He starts doing that. Like, there was something in me turned on and evoked. Mm -hmm. like something human, the deep in that called to my deep. Mm -hmm. But he just committed murder. So it wasn't the content per se, because it was immoral and it was pathetic. He was dancing alone in a dirty bathroom right. as a man with paint and makeup all over him. Like it was pathetic. Mm -hmm. And yet deep called to deep. Why? Because all of that was stagecraft for this unseen beyond the appearance enchantment of the double movement that we all long for because it brings us to God. I, Jesus was calling people to believe, right? It was, that's like he, did, like he healed, yes, but he was like, your faith has made you well. And then he let them go and live their life after that experience. Hey, Luke. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I totally spaced us. <laughs> no worries. We, we, were just, <sighs> we, were, we, were, we were just getting to the end of Joker and the, the move of faith. All right. So I'll just go real quick on that um, um, before I lose my train of thought. So he's, 
throughout this movie, like Hamlet. So Hamlet, what's Hamlet's problem? Mm-hmm. People typically say his problem is he thinks too much. But Nietzsche said he thought too well. And I agree with Nietzsche in the sense that here was a great case of this person who was supposed to fulfill a role. He's supposed to be a successor to the throne. He didn't get that. So what is he supposed to do on another level? He's supposed to take revenge. He's supposed to save his father from the belly of the whale and kill Polonius, or kill, not Polonius, that was a mistake, the uncle. Yeah. That was supposed to be his cog movement. But what did he do? He had the double movement of faith and made poetry out of observations. And he got out of his frame because he thought life was worth that much, at least. Mm. And that use of the dramatization of predestination and scripts and frames as a way to get out of it, I think was for Hamlet, his Abrahamic move of, I will sacrifice my son, yet I will get him back because God is love. I am not just a, uh, a thwarted king who's lost his father that will fulfill the rights of kingship by killing the one who's not in the throne. I will be a great stage actor. That was his way out. Um, now the Joker at the very end, he's going to kill himself and make himself a spectacle to everyone. He was planning it. He was sitting in the dressing room. He had his name picked out that everyone would remember him by. That was resignation. That was his concretization. If he would have had faith, if he would have been motivated, he would have forgiven them all, I claim, on television and accepted the most heinous act of laughing at him, spitting at him possible. Because he would have said in his heart to God, though the whole world hate me, yet it's still good because you made it, your love. And so I will bend a knee. But instead, what did he do? He couldn't even be a knight of infinite resignation. He became Hamlet's bad story, the old play, where he's just a blood-hungry villain that Shakespeare rewrote. And so what does he do? He changes his mind and he says, you think you can do all this to the world and change it sociologically and you're going to get no kickback? Well, you get what you effing deserve and shoots another man, his own uncle. There's no faith in that, I claim. But anyway, so I think it's a great like anti-Hamlet, anti-double movement of faith, stuck in resignation. And then where does resignation lead you to? Acting out some revenge tragedy. Luke, we were, we were comparing yeah, silence and the Joker. Well, I don't want to have you guys necessarily uh, repeat everything that you've already said <laughs> about uh, silence and the Joker. Um, man, and I don't know that I have any thoughts off the top of my head. I, I'll have to, if this gets posted, I'll have to, or share it with me and I'll have to rewatch it. But um, I don't know, or unless you have a very short cliff notes to trigger off anything I would say. Hmm. What were the main takeaways you came away with? What were the main parallels or similarities or, or why? So maybe I would ask it this way because these are two it, w- within the contemporary cinema 
those are two films that I find to be uh, profoundly significant. And so why? Um, I mean, I, I think, I think it, I think it kind of ties back to what Matt was saying is like, there's, there's that, there's that element of like, that, that element of mystery and faith in both of them. Like, like Pearson talks about how, like, when you see that gymnast, like pushing the edge, um, and it just captivates you, um, mm. and, like people can't look away. I think that's what's on this, or like that's what's on display. At least um, it's like um, I mean, especially in silence. But I think maybe the Joker, because there's maybe it's the antithesis of that, or, or mm. maybe not, but um, yeah, it's it's that I don't know. It's that it's that thing that 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 can't be named that like that Matt was talking about. Uh, so when the Joker he kills that kills those two guys, he, he, those two boys in the subway and he's, he's just dancing and he's sort of, he's making, he's, it's this, it's this almost desperate cry of like trying to, um, trying to transform or like trying to transform what, I guess what happened in, into something. Um, I, I, I wouldn't even say beautiful because it, it was very, I mean, it was it was horrifying what had just happened. Um, I don't know. Mm. Thoughts, Matt? <clears throat> so I could the the dancing thing. I've been thinking a lot about, and I mean, I don't know how it relates to silence, but how I've begun thinking about that, and I'm not sure if this is even technically right because I mean I haven't studied this in psychology a lot, but <clears throat> but when. Peterson talks about, and he has talked about before, like animus possession. Um, what I, what the dancing almost signifies to me, and, and you see a progression. You see a progression, I think, in the Joker, which almost, it's kind of culminated in his dance down the stairway, and then in the way that he's behaving um, on the show, um, for Murray Franklin's show. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like what what I was just thinking as you were talking about that is it's almost as if that dancing is the Joker. Arthur Fleck is a guy who has been, he's never had a happy thought in his life and he's disconnected. He feels uh, completely foreign and alien and disconnected and rejected by the world. So, I mean, this is kind of, this is in in lines of, Kierkegaard or Hamlet or Jesus, you know, like he's a, um, but, but in a way he's, he's kind of a, um, he's like a potential, he's a potential hero. And in that way, he's kind of the opposite of Batman. So what I, what I see is happens is he's, when he's dancing in the, in the bathroom after that first time, you know, he's been awkward. He, he couldn't dance before. And then all of a sudden he dances, but it's in a, it's in a strange way but it's but it's beautiful though like it's fluid and it works but it's odd and his body's contorting in weird ways right. um but but yet he it's almost as if he's finally it's as if he's found harmony finally mm -hmm. 
through his actions, he's found harmony, but it's not, it's not the kind of harmony that you'd want in a Christian narrative. It's not harmony through voluntary self-sacrifice and submission and bending the knee. Mm. It's, it's harmony with, with whatever animus possession and whatever spiritual, he, he got into spiritual harmony with something, but yeah. it wasn't Christ. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that kind of reminds me of what I was saying, like in, in the discord of like, so Joker's almost like sort of this, this, because you see it almost in his character, like he's sort of this, he has like almost no fat on his body. He's sort of like yeah. alienated from his, from his own, his own body. And it's sort of like, that's, kind of, that's what I kind of feel like um, modernity is, is pushing towards. It's like this, this mm. alienation from being to like, you know, to like I was saying, Descartes, you know, like I think therefore I am. So it's like that, because I, I read a, who's that? Um, Thomas Merton, he says that I think therefore I am is like, that is the pronouncement of an alienated being. That, 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 that is somebody who like um, has to justify their existence through their, you know, logical presupposition or, you know, like logical, logical thinking versus. Okay. Where does Merton say that? And you should contemplation, I think, or there's no man is an island. Kimbrew. Okay. Cause what, what is interesting is I've, I don't know. I've, as I've been pondering all this stuff in modernity. So there's a couple interesting things. I think him, him being so emaciated and starved and and that being and that being an example or a symbolic example of his disconnection in such a just simple way of his eating from yeah. the material world as as a play on modernity is really interesting and also like i think i agree that i think therefore i am i don't know that merton quote I, i'm gonna have to find that or figure it out or you'll have to send it to me yeah. but um i have a I've been thinking a lot. There's, there's this player in my mind that I've been just beginning on reading who's a French existentialist, Gabriel Marcel, who I think is phenomenal. And he, he talks a lot about, um, there's a couple terms he uses. He talks about objectifying thinking where we're, um, which I think is like, it's almost a play on words to what living in your abstractions is. You're, you're objectifying an abstraction or you're trying to you're trying to pretend this abstraction is a real thing when it's not but but i agree with you that's i think that's what happened with descartes in the epistemic shift is it it created the potential for people to live in abstraction and i think where we're at with modernity and even with someone like a joker is it's showing the i think the joker is showing the the kind of nihilistic despair end of that thinking when it's played out in a disconnected disembodied way and ultimately i think that's where it's tied into even like the joker's a weird thing because he doesn't go in he goes into a um i don't know this i'd love your guys thoughts on this like why what is what is significant in the film about him switching from suicide to hurting others because that's a Dostoevsky thing too like hate and Jordan Peterson talks about that hatred of mankind is somehow I don't know or mass shootings 
like uh, there's something about there's something about the spirit of a mass shooter or the joker that is different than just and worse more twisted more perverse than just taking one's own life i mean that's a kind of despair but there's some there it's like there's something that's beyond despair um in the joker and i don't know i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that but so i would compare it to in the initial scene when we're introduced to the joker uh he's a pansy in a sense but i use that non-technically right the boys come and they steal his property and they beat him over the head with it after a vicious joke and he's laying on concrete this is his concretization this -hmm. is what he has become this is where his character has got him what does he do in that moment? What's he do in his heart of hearts relating to the absolute? He touches his flower and squirts a little water out. Mm. That's, that's an infinite gesture. It's, it's on scale with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It really is, I, I would say. Because that's, that's what he's motivated to do with those set of circumstances. Fast forward, without judgment, that's just what he does. Fast forward to, he's on the subway, and he's crying. I mean, he's, he's down and out. And some guys come to put a little salt in that wound. Um, and he's not willing to salt the rim of his margarita and drink down despair with them. I mean, he could resign himself to that. Uh, instead, he can't help, and this is where the dancing comes in, but laugh involuntarily to make the situation worse or to draw out from the situation the revelation of the gun. And anytime there's a gun, it has to be used. And that's when he becomes an agent in some sense. He shoots the man. And why I say agent is the second man starts running. If it was merely self-defense, he would have let him go. What does he do? He steps outside the subway, watches him. Mm -hmm. The guy doesn't leave because he's watching him. He stays in just before the door closes, the Joker goes back in. He's now hunting the man, taking part in the revenge tragedy. Now that doesn't answer your question, but it is a stark contrast from pushing the little flower to get out a couple drops of dew. What has shifted in his soul to choose that route? I think it's a deepening of resignation as opposed to, um, when he was touching that flower, for all he knew, Honey could have come out, gold itself. The world could have changed because he was opening himself up to the infinity of, well, maybe the God of all possibilities will change my luck. But when he took that gun and stood outside the subway and waited and then went back in and hunted, he became the one with the bow and arrow. I know the track. I know the scent. This has always worked. Primitivity. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a closing up of, of, of possibility. Like he, he made the judgment uh, that that like when he like when he when he decided to start hunting that that kid, that was like the judgment of now now I, I I'm I'm now like I I've shut myself out to to or I, I I've judged I've judged the world as 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 bad or as, as, um, I mean, not bad, but just like, I now, it was sort of like a, a taking in, 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 into his own, into his own hands versus, versus like you were saying, kind of still, still, at least in like when, with that flower, at least it was, it was, 
it was a small symbolic gesture, but it's, it was it was still born out of like honest sincerity. Maybe I don't know. Does that make sense at all? It and that's fascinating too because when you say symbolic, it's yeah. not like the flower. That water didn't flood anyone's house. It was such a small stream. It didn't make a wake in the culture. It didn't advocate for anything, but it was symbolic. But when he had the gun in his hand, he affected the culture. He said something to his neighbor, namely, go to hell. And then afterwards, worshipped himself or worshipped whatever he worshipped, the animus, to, to your point, Luke. Whatever, whatever was surging through him and gave him that thrill. Right. It's almost as if it's, I don't know, it's almost, and this is where like in my, uh, when I was talking with Sam and Julian about the Joker, I don't, Julian seemed, or it seemed like he was talking about how um, it was more of like a, a revenge thing or a getting back. The Joker to me is almost, it's, it's almost like beyond this. And this is a thought that I just had is it's almost, it's almost as if, in, in a Christian scheme and in, in the Christian hero thing in Christ, there's almost a, there's a way almost in which you become so, so selfless that you find yourself. But it's like, there was a line from a book that I'm recently been reading for my book club is um, this book, Godric by Francis Beekner, who there's a line in it where he's talking of a saint, the Saint Cuthbert. And he says, since holiness was all he knew, he didn't think much of his own. And it's almost like, and it's one of just those profound lines. And I feel like in a Christian sense, saintliness is almost like a complete emptying of the self. Or I think of like um, this Greg of Nyssa quote, like it's the difference between being and having. Like you, you completely move from the realm of having to being. And so you're not even thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about anything that you possess, even your yourself, your identity. You transcend that whole plane. And it's like the it's like Arthur Fleck has also done that, but in the but in the opposite way. Mm. It's like he transcended himself. He's not He's, he's not even, he's not, that's why he transcends ideology. Even like when, when um, Murray Franklin is saying, you know, why are you doing this? You're trying to make a political statement. And he just, he just laughs. He's just like, I'm so, I'm so beyond politics. Like, you don't get this. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make a statement. I have no, there's no agenda. There's no, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to get revenge. I'm just, I, I have so embraced broken disconnect the the opposite of truth and good and beauty my whole life has been the opposite of that and so i want everything to burn and it's not burn me burn everything my he doesn't even protect himself like violence pain doesn't matter nothing matters to him that's why the joker is such a terrifying thing and i think back to even like Heath Ledger's Joker almost showed this more, or it was more clear, is he just, pain didn't bother him at all. He wasn't concerned about avoiding pain. He didn't care. He, he would enter into it in service of his let the world burn. Ooh, let me, let me touch on that. Um, that is so interesting because on the surface or by textbook, what a great way to beat addiction. 
of any kind to remove the threat of pain for pain to lose its sting. I mean, that is like a cure all for all addictions. The Joker, what's he addicted to? It's not glory. It's not make, you know, it's not eloquence. Um, It's not a person. He's Mm. not in any kind of romantic relationship to speak of. I don't even think he's properly narcissistic. No. Because so he is the, I mean, how is he not a, the devil in, in a shining robe of light in some sense? Like you could yeah. look at him and almost model non-addictive behavior after him, except there's, for everything he does. <laughs> there's a, I don't think, I don't know. And part of it is like, I don't, I don't think that we, because, because of the good, the, the icon of Christ and, and the goodness that is still inherent within any human being that breathes, that literally has the breath of God. Um, I don't think that we really, in a way, can almost understand evil, like true evil in the way that it is. And I think the Joker gets close. I was reminded of, there's a, um, so in Lewis's Space Trilogy, I'll bring Lewis's Space Trilogy, but in uh, the second book, there's, there's a person who, to a degree, and then eventually in a very, in a very real way, embodies the devil more or less and um and he has there's a point where the hero character ransom is interacting with him and he he has some line i wish i had it here to to repeat it but he was saying in his interactions with this character the devil because he's essentially trying to make the eve character fall and to fall into sin and so he and ransom are having this cosmic quite literally cosmic battle back and forth for her soul and um and so in his in his attempts to to weaken her and to weaken ransom the things that he does are almost lewis i remember lewis says they're almost childish like he couldn't believe it like it would be very it was it was very much along the lines of just like like he would just stick his tongue out at him and just like make little noises like like yeah, just little things that you and and I remember Lewis. There's a there was a point in there. I'll have to find it and uh, and send you the the text or something at some point. But it was it was almost more like he had never really thought about how true evil looked, and it was like it was almost strangely childish in a way, or like um, just like picking. He would he would just pick the petals off a flower just anything any little thing to destroy beauty was just was just as good as anything else it's almost it's almost as if it's kind of like i've heard and i don't know who said this merton has said this a lot of christian mystics have said things like this that like um the whole universe and and beauty and everything that you need to know is like is beheld in the face of a flower mm-hmm. and it's almost like the devil knows that too you know, like he'll, he'll just as easily degrade and destroy a flower as burn down a cathedral, you know, or, or murder someone like evil is evil. It's indiscriminate. You know, <laughs> like, like it, it wants to destroy anything good. Um, and it's almost like, I don't know, we have a hard time wrapping our head around that. I think that's why the Joker is such a, um, is really such a salient thing in the public consciousness right now is like it's 
it's tapping into something and it's evidencing something that is, that's incredibly important. Um, and I think that it's, it's, it's a, I don't know. I, I, I really do think it's a warning. So, and I mean, I guess we're losing silence in this, but I don't know what you guys said earlier. I'm sure it was profound and wonderful. Um, but so what do you, that's a question I would love to have for you guys. Like what, so we, we do all this talking about Joker and I think we all think that it's significant. So then what, how should we then live in light of Joker? What's it mean? What do we do? Rather than living in our abstractions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I, I think part of the reason why people, why at least ideologues hated Joker was because like you, you couldn't, you couldn't, um, like Arthur Fleck was a was a real person in in terms of like you you you, you, you in, in, like Peugeot said this you can't fit him into into an into an easy box and I, I think mm. Kierkegaard said said this somewhere where it's like Christ Christ was in some sense the only real person in, in that like he didn't try to start a movement he didn't try to um, you know like um, you know, start a, a revolution in like the way, the way that the mm -hmm. way it is like, he just, he was himself and he spoke the truth and, um, he, he just, he, 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 he was like, he, 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 um, he just like, he just existed in terms of, he, 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 he wasn't trying to like prove anything or, or start, or start a revolution. Um, so I think I think maybe part of the reason why uh, I, I guess like what we can take from that um, is sort of goes back to faith. Is like there's a there's a lot of things in the world that like we're never going to be able to solve. We're never like we can't we can't solve societal level problems. Yeah. Kind of going back to the like to the individual. I mean, like this is sort of Peterson type esque, but also, I mean, ultimately, it's fundamentally Christian. Is like, you, you know, you, you walk with God as best as you can, trusting Him, and that, like, ultimately, that's that's all you can do. Um, so maybe it's kind of a, a warning in terms of like the dangers of this. This, this is what happens when we start to take in take things in, into our, our, our own hands. Or mm. um, trying to fix the world with our utopianism. Right. Um, and I think this is where Christianity, I don't know, as you were talking, I don't know why you were saying this, but you were talking about what Christ did and what kept popping into my head was um, the book of Hebrews. And that's why I was looking at my phone. I was trying to come up with this verse and it's, um, um, and it's Hebrews 10 when he's talking about sacrifice and what was going on with sacrifice. And he says, Hebrews 10, five says, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And it's contrasting. So I'm thinking I'll try to got like 10 threads. I'll try to articulate into <laughs> intelligible language. Um, so I'm thinking about Gerard and I'm thinking about, a lot of what um, Paul has been talking on lately that 
Christianity is about voluntary sacrifice instead of sacrificing the other. And so, and Joker is kind of the opposite of that, right? Because it's just kill everything, stay alive so you can kill everything. And Christ is like, die so that everything may live. So he, um, so in Christ, in his death, in the seed that's planted in the earth, right? From that grows a tree that's, <clears throat> that has the leaves in Revelation that's for the renewal of all things, right? and the mustard seed and the mustard plant and what is that there's a in revelation it says that and, and its leaves will be for the I don't know. Man, this is where i don't know my bible well enough i could just be like it's almost there um but its leaves will be for the renewal of all the nations or something like that and mm -hmm. so um what i don't know what i almost so i think that's what christ did is he he mystically in the sacrifice of his body, created a body. And he took his, his individual expression and made it universal. So he took the finite and made it universal, which, and, and in a weird paradoxical way, he was, he was already, I mean, that's kind of what, what is that? Philippians 2, though Christ not counting equality, God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. So he took the universal and made it particular. And then in his sacrifice, that particularity became universal. Yeah. And it's what I'm thinking of is, I don't, I don't know if you guys have watched this, but it's something about Peugeot said, and I was just, I was so pumped up with his talk about Verveke, just like everything Peugeot was saying. I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, but he was saying at like 58 minutes in that talk, he said something like, the most important thing about Christianity is that the expression of the infinite is also infinite like it's equally infinite and it has there's something and the way that i've always said this i think this is what peugeot is saying and the, what i've tried to say is why art is so profound and why like you can't you can't label and minimize and box arthur fleck or any person mm -hmm. is that we we are all we are also infinite there is universality in the particular and this is why any sort of like dualistic minimalistic divorced frame can't ever work and is always going to fall into some sort of reductions simplification ideology coercion and violence like that's a i think that's an inevitable pattern and so it's almost like my takeaway and i think it's really simple maybe it's as simple as like the flowers and plucking the leaves on the flower is to help the to help what Joker is about in the world is, and this bringing Jordan Peterson is very much clean your room, but not even your own room. It's just like, love your neighbor, smile at the clerk when you go to the grocery store, pick up garbage on the street, you know, hug a homeless person or something, you know, like maybe don't even give a homeless person money, invite them for a meal into your home. I mean, I think love, I mean, that, I think that's the answer. I mean, it's simple, but, it, but love is the, is the universal tool <laughs> and it's a tool of the universal mm -hmm. to transform the world from a Christian perspective rather than hate and malice and resentment and resignation and violence. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know. I mean, and, and obviously there's, there's 
infinite ways to express that in everybody's individual lives. But um, I don't know, repentance with your family. If you have something against your brother, go to them. Confession. I mean, all those sorts of things, I think, are, are the leaves of the renewal of the world. Um, and I don't know, that, that's probably the biggest thing with my joke away from take or my takeaway from Joker and all the talk and the abstractions and things is that even, even in the Paul Vanderlei community, and I talk about this with people, I think the danger is, is like, this is super fun, you know, to talk about these things. And, and somewhat for all the people that are in this world, it's relatively easy. Like this is the stuff we like to do. These are people that love ideas and they're open. And I mean, this is just like, I have an old pastor used to, he said, Luke, you like mind candy. Um, and that's true. And, but you know, it's, it's a lot harder to love the unlovable. I mean, I guess I, that would be my takeaway of Joker. Um, and it's probably the things that are closest to you that you most don't want to deal with that you most don't want to see, you know, the cave you fear to enter mm -hmm. holds the treasure that you seek type stuff. Um, so I don't know. I guess that that would be my answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hate to have to cut it short, but I I I actually need to run. So since I'm all right, hosting this meeting, but um, sorry for being late, right. guys. I got to go, yeah. Maybe we. It was can a good note. It was that. a good note. At the end, yeah. the leaves. That was a beautiful image, Luke. Thank well, you, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Matt and Luke. Um, yeah, it was so good yeah, to talk to you guys. I'll uh, I'll. Um, like stop this and then I can send it to Jeff or whatever if he, if he wants to put it up. I'm I'm fine to I'm fine to post it. If you guys I'm good. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. I'll see you. Yep. All right. Bye. God bless. Thanks.